Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. All righty. On the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3 or on 133 LUS. Fiber, the game hotline is 706-0111-706-0111 on this. I don't know what to call. I guess we'll call it um, what have we here Friday, Monday edition of footnotes. It's like how do we really interpret what we saw at Cajun Field on Saturday? How do we really interpret what we saw from the Superdome last night with LSU? We have two hours of open phone lines. We would love to hear what you have to say about those two games. It is one thing we need to all keep in mind is that it was the first game uh, for all these teams involved, well, for most of them, for Florida State, it wasn't the first game, but for most of the for LSU and the Cajuns, it was it was the first game, and there were changes, and in LSU's case, a ton of changes. So, you know, we have to keep in mind it, it's hard, as I said a couple times in recent weeks, when you have a new coach. And you have a long off season of talking and talking and talking and talking and talking with no playing, because that's how football is. Um, when you finally get that first game, it's very difficult not to draw a very strong impression. It's just human nature. I mean, it's just hard. You're going to make maybe in some areas more of a rash generalization than you should because that's your first impression. Um, and I'm sure there are many first impressions for the Cajuns, for LSU. We would like, you know, we're going to talk about both of those games. It's also game week for the Saints. Thursday, there's a game, an NFL game that counts. The Bills and the Rams, what a blockbuster game. I mean, that is a great matchup. Um, and the Saints open against the Falcons on Sunday. Hopefully they've gotten really healthy in this, you know, these two weeks here. It is, uh, you know, I think I like the idea. I mean, it's a lot of waiting, no question, but from a, team getting healthy standpoint, you know, this having two weeks off here probably uh, is very beneficial. And hopefully it is come injury report, you know, who's playing and who's not playing and who's sitting come Sunday morning. Uh, for the Cajuns, they announced last Monday that Trey Amos, the – Starting cornerback wasn't going to play. And I thought 
the the defensive plan. I think one of the things that's going to be good for the Cajuns is a pass rush this year, or, or so I was expecting it to be. And we didn't see a lot of that in Saturday's game. And as the game went on, I, I'm thinking they don't uh, – I, I think they had a little bit of a conservative defensive game plan. In other words, they didn't look at Southeastern's quarterback as someone who could – beat him with his arm. He could beat him with his legs. And when you're one of your starting cornerbacks is out and a lot of the guys who were, you know, got most of the snaps at the cornerback position are either very new or had played very little. And so they also had um you know, two new starters and backups playing. Some new guys not who hadn't played a whole lot at linebacker here and there. So I think what the Cajuns were doing is, okay, we're going to drop back. We're not going to put a lot of pressure on them. And we're just going to, you know, this is an oversimplification, but keep the ball in front of us, not be ultra aggressive and give him lanes to get big rushing chunks of rushing yards on. Uh, kind of like we saw with Jaden Daniels last night. He got a lot of yards rushing. And um, just, you know, keep him in front of you. Don't get the and, – and, it you know, you, it worked. I mean, it wasn't always pretty. It wasn't flashy. But they gave up seven points. That's all they gave up. So – it kind of worked. I mean, it's hard to say, well, that strategy didn't work because it did work. Now, uh, you know, the Cajuns should have gotten a few, you know, more points. They decided to, you know, uh, it's it's tough to pass up points. I just, passing up points to me is not a good plan. It's just not a good plan. Now, if you're playing... You know, we saw the, the situation again, and I know a little bit. I'm a little bit on the conservative side. I get it, but it, it you have to manage the game based on the game you're in. And 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 I saw just a ton of awful game management decisions over the weekend. I, I just I just don't agree with them. One of them is, look, the, here's the way I look at it. If you're playing one of these 63-61 games, which App played with North Carolina, and look, I have a lot of respect for App's program and should have a lot of respect. That's awful. I mean, you call it whatever you want. That is awful football. Awful. 63-61 is an embarrassment. That is awful football, in my opinion. I just don't understand how you don't play any defense at all. How can you how can you not play any defense? I I, I just that's awful. But anyway, that's a that's a side note. If you're playing one of these 63-61 games, then yeah, you gotta push the envelope. You can't be kicking field goals on fourth and one from the seven. I get that. But when the when the score is seven to three or 14 to 10 and you're in the second half and the defenses are are outperforming the offenses or 
the offenses are being so inept that they're they're not allowing themselves to get anything, any points, and move the ball consistently, then you have to take your points. Laughing at points in a low-scoring game makes zero sense to me. If you're a defensive team, you got to take your points if it's a low-scoring game, in my opinion. Take your points. I really think that the game for the Cajuns would have been a little easier if they take the points, they go into the half up 20 to nothing. Also think it would have been easier, and and I want to ask Coach Des this because there's been some – one of the drives that was stalled was stalled because of a kind of an off-the-wall intentional grounding call that I'm not sure was was accurate. And so I want to get kind of that. But anyway, that's kind of beside the point at this point, although not really. I mean, it, it could have made things a lot better. Um, but – the the Cajuns defense had a conservative game plan and it worked. Southeastern's defense, Cajuns only had the ball three times in the first half, drove straight down the field all three times, went four and on fourth down once and missed it, kicked a field goal once because of an errant third down pass and then scored a touchdown on the other one on a really nice pass. In the second half, Southeastern obviously made some changes. They got a lot more aggressive, sent a lot more blitzes, and the Cajuns struggled with it. They did. Now, what would have happened had they not thrown this eh, intentional grounding call? Who knows? They might have gone down and kicked a field goal or scored a touchdown. Speaking of kicking field goals, they missed a field goal again. Man, this team has missed it. I mean, they just cannot get the kicking situation straight. So or is he going to go back to Kenny Amadeus or not? We'll see how that plays out. The que- oh, Getting to LSU, the question that I've been asking, question slash statement that I've been asking and, and something that hadn't been adding up to me from, on, from the beginning on this LSU quarterback situation is I kept saying Jaden Daniels, is he really going to be able to maximize LSU's talent at wide receiver? I, I just, I, and I didn't see a single practice. A lot of all of you LSU fans know way more about LSU football and their programs and their recruits and the transfers and all that than I do. And we talk to Koki each Wednesday. And I is is Jaden Daniels going to be able to maximize? The wide receiver talent that LSU has. And after one game, I'm going to ask this question. Is Jaden Daniels going to be able to maximize the talent that LSU has at wide receiver? I just, that never made any sense to me. I still, and after watching one game, it's still, I'm like, I don't know. We've all seen it in games. And... For someone like me who's not a coach, it's hard to – it's like you, you see a guy who looked as completely awful as he looked in the first half, and then they get in this hurry-up situation, and he looks much better. We were discussing it last night, and, and, and I guess – you know, I've complained about this with the Saints for over a decade. The Saints, about a decade ago now, 
fell behind 14 to nothing in a game, went to a full-fledged hurry-up offense, and won the game. Since then, they've done it zero times. Zero. Zero times did they go to the hurry-up in the first half of a game. And look, because you go in a hurry-up in the first quarter to second quarter, doesn't mean you have to do it for four quarters. You just have to do it till you can stabilize the game a little bit. Uh, or, 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 you know, get to where you you have somewhat of an advantage. And it just, it, you know, I, I, I guess the reason why more coaches don't do it is because it's hard to sustain that for four quarters physically. You get worn out. I, I get that. Um, I don't know. I just, it's going to be, um, there was a lot of bad football in that game last night. Now, the irony of it is that I've always said that 24-23 is the perfect football score, but that was nowhere near the perfect football game. Man, there were so many bad plays, so many bad plays and decisions. That was bad. There was a lot of bad in that game last night, a lot in that LSU-Florida State game. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Footsie. Hello, sir. Footsie, sometimes you'll have to ask Mr. Tom since you don't trust my horse racing analogy. But sometimes you got to stand up in the saddle and slow the horse down. See? And that's what we need to do with you today. I, I, I can't blame Jaden Daniels for nothing. I mean, the offensive line was pathetic. Oh, it wasn't good. I agree with that. You know? And one wide receiver, he got, and, and he got the man's money, but he didn't get it done. You know, everybody was making fun of Miles Brennan, calling Miles Brennan a quitter. Well, uh, Kayshawn Butte looked like he might have stepped away from football and just didn't tell nobody so he could get his NIL money. You know, I, I, I'm not, look, I don't think this, this, this guy Daniels is the greatest quarterback they ever had. But I'm not blaming him. I mean, you know, if the offensive line don't block, it don't matter who you have. And why did they, they go to some sprint outs or move the pocket or do something? I mean, you know, LSU left a lot to be desired. I mean, they were lucky that they were, you know, a blocked extra point away from tying the football game. Yes. I mean, that, 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 yeah, they were very fortunate to be in that situation. So so you really don't have any reservations, or are you saying it's just too early to tell whether Jaden Daniels is going to be able to maximize the wide receiving group? Well, as I said, one wide receiver looked like he, he, he stepped away from football. He looked disinterested, and he's the lead wide receiver. And, no, I, I, I mean, I think Jaden Daniels is probably – a decent quarterback. I don't think he's, you know, a high-end quarterback, but he's all they got. And with a, a poor offensive line, it makes him worse. It doesn't improve him. So, I, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I, I look. Do to you me, th- LSU looks like they they look like a five and seven football team. 
Okay, so do you think, and I, I had this thought last night, that the reason why he selected Daniels is because he can run, and with the question marks on the offensive line, they're going to need him to be able to get some yards running. That's exactly what I thought. Yeah. And I, and then I thought, like, hey, look, I have no problem with Miles Brennan. I mean, would you really want to watch? Look, he saw, he's seen five and seven football, you know, and six and six football. So, I would want to sit around and watch that a third year and have to go to Arkansas in, the, in, in late November up there in that freaking cold and miserable and it might be raining. I don't blame Miles Brennan one bit. But, no, I, I think it was Daniels because he the, uh, 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 Kelly saw the uh, – Brian Kelly saw the offensive line. <laughs> that leaves a lot to be desired in my, my opinion. I mean, they had a field goal blocked and they had an extra point blocked. Yep. I mean, you know, uh, I don't think it's going to be a good year for LSU football, just just from what I saw. And I don't think they're going to get that much better. And I'm not blaming Brian Kelly either. You know, when they went to the Texas Bowl over there in Houston last year, they only had 39 scholarship players. Yes. So yeah, it's not going to happen overnight. No, you're right. No. I, I mean, this is a two- or three-year build. This is done. People that people that think it's uh, uh, going to happen overnight, they 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 incorrect. And another team that needs to get out there and practice, like KD and Rams, they need to get out there and they need to practice, and they 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 they, they need to practice in all areas of football because they didn't get it done either. So yeah. they they got a lot of practice in front of them, and uh, the Houston Astros. I mean, they just keep on rolling, boy. <laughs> yeah. Good to good good to be an Astros fan. As of right now, yes, tonight could be a very important night. Uh, Hunter Brown makes his major league debut, so we'll yes, see what does. we got in him. Yes, he does. Yes. Well, all right. All right. Yeah, I'll holler at you later. Thank bitter. No, I, I, you know, I, I get Bitter's point of view. The offensive line was not great, not good at all. Uh, still have the same question, but I can kind of see what. I do see what he's talking about. Offensive line is an issue, no question. All right, that'll do it for this first segment. We'll take a timeout, come back. Again, two hours open phone lines, Cajuns, Tigers, Saints, Major League Baseball. If you want to talk a little high school on a Monday after week one, we could do that as well. You can give us a call in the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We love talking about sports. Yeah. You love listening to sports. Yep. Sounds like we were meant to be together, or at least friends with benefits. Aren't you glad you found us? Yep. Yep. Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Want to remind you about Astro Giveaway 5. The Astros will be playing the Rays on October the 1st, Saturday. If you would like to win four tickets to that game, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations. You need to go to the game clubhouse, and if you do, 
you might you'll be eligible to win that great prize. Astro Weekends Getaways per, per, provided or powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian, Houston downtown, and the game. Again, the game hotline is 706-0111. All it's Monday. It's two. It's football season. It's two hours of open phone line. So call in. I um, talked a little bit about the Cajun game. We'll talk a little bit about the LSU game, um, and we'll get. Um, we're gonna, you know, do that for most of the. It's a. It's a Monday morning after the opening weekend of of college football for for most of the country. And B- Bitter brought up a little baseball. I just want to remind all the folks who laughed, who laughed when Hannah said, my team is the Mariners. Oh, they are a bunch of losers. Losers. Why you pick the Mariners? But at that, the, 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 you know, in June, the national talk was, oh, they, everybody in the Astros division is terrible. Nobody has a chance. Every, only the team, the only team's gonna make the playoffs other than division winners in the in the ESPN division. You heard that over and over again, folks. The Mariners are four games behind the Yankees for the second best record in the American League. Now the Rays are playing well too, so I don't know if the Mariners can finish this off. I just told y'all back then the Mariners are good. And that was when they were under 500. They they had a bad first half. They just did. But I always knew they were good. Their lineup is good. Their bullpen underachieved the first half way better than they pitched the first half. And they're starting pitching underachieved the first half way better than the first half. It is not that out of the possibility that two best records in the American League could end up being the Astros and the Mariners. Now, still 30-something games left. They're only a game up on the race, so it may not happen. But I'm just telling you, the Mariners have won. They, for whatever reason, they owned the little Guardians. Just crushed them. So they swept the Guardians, and not, they've kind of reduced the, the the Twins are back in it. The White Sox are back in it. They all better send the Mariners Christmas presents. That's what they need to do. They better send the Mariners a Christmas card. Because the White Sox, we've been waiting. If it's ever going to happen. The White Sox might do what the Cardinals did last year, play bad all year long, and then all of a sudden September, and they start playing well out of the blue after five months of nothing. Um, it's still that, that opportunity still exists. But it's a Monday in football season, so we want to get back to that. Again, the game hotline is 706-0111, 706-0111. At the KG game, we talked mostly about the defense in the first segment. Offensively, again, they started out very well. First drive went right down the field, scored on a touchdown pass, very nice pass, nice route to to the tight end. We've been talking about tight ends for 10 years around here and how the tight end play has not been there. Well, the the offensive highlights for the Cajuns were the tight ends on Saturday. Obviously, um, Johnny Lumpkin had five catches for 72 yards and two touchdowns. But it was more than that. Uh, He only had 
one catch, but man, I thought it was the best play of the entire game. The the Cajuns were trying to deliver the coup de gras. It was, I don't know, one or two minutes left in the game. They're up 10, so they're probably going to win, but, you know, it was not totally over yet. And they went forward on fourth down, which, man, you got to be able to kick field goals. I mean, just, they've got to get this field goal situation figured out. But anyway, uh, they decided to go for it, and they threw – a screen to Pierce Meagle, and he made a great run. I mean, it wasn't a good run. It was a great run. And for 17 yards and then set up Johnny Lumpkin's second touchdown catch of the game, and it was, you know, it was the coup de grace. And so uh, it was nice that they did it, but no, the, I've heard some people worried about the running game. Going into the season, I was worried about the running game as well, but more so the depth of the running game. In that if they get one guy hurt, do they are they going to have enough depth there after all the running backs that they've lost since midseason last year? Still a little concerned about that. Coaches have never expressed concern about that, on or off the record, really. I mean, I've asked them off the record, and they, they're not concerned about it. Um, I'm still a little concerned about it, but I do think I've heard too much concern about it based on Saturday's game. Folks, the, the, the Cajun rushing game was for 133 yards on, on Saturday. Get Understand that basically um, did any of that – I don't think – they don't get any help from the running – and I'm, I'm not saying I want them to get any help in the running game necessarily – I'm not saying this is a negative, but understand that's 133 yards from the running backs. You know, I don't know what LSU rushed for last night, but a lot of that rushing was the quarterback. Now, I know it counts, but in most of our minds, when we hear running game, we're, we're talking about the running backs. And obviously, if you have a running quarterback, then they can pad your, your, your rushing stats, no question. But when... But the Cajuns rushed for 133 yards, which was not tremendous. It wasn't tremendous. Um, but understand, in last year's season opener, they ran for 76 yards. 76. That was with Montreal Johnson and Amani Am Bailey and all these offensive linemen that we're talking that you know that they lost. In week two at home against Nichols, they ran for 90 yards. 90. 43 fewer than they rushed for Saturday. Now, I'm not saying the, the combination of the offensive line and the running backs is better than it was last year. I'm just saying let's hold off with the criticism of the offensive line when they ran for 133 yards with zero help from the quarterback. That's all running back yards. And that that's more than they had the first two games last year at this time. So I'm willing to be a little patient in the running game with the offensive line and the running backs when it wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. It wasn't as bad as the last few, first two games last year where you say, well, Texas defensively and Nichols defense is better than Southeastern. It may be. 
Time will tell on that. Now, you know, that may be, but I'm just saying let's hold off on that part. The thing that, and again, it's one game. I started the show by saying it's one game, and it's the first game. So let's give them a little bit. Let's get a few games under our belts till we make too many rash generalizations. One of the things I was hoping for from this offense is to have a more consistent passing game. And what I mean by that is you, you kind of know who your receivers are. I, I love depth, but I think depth can complicate. And we've talked about this over and over. Johnny Lumpkin had five catches. No one, no other receiver, no other player, but really I'm focusing on the receiving part of it. No other receiver had more than two catches. Now, they didn't run a lot of plays. It was a weird game because they didn't when, when, when you get an 80, they had an 83-yard punt return by Eric Garrow, which is great, puts automatic points on the board, but you don't get, you don't get, it kind of gets you out of your offensive flow. And there were a lot of long drives by both teams. So, it wasn't a game where you got a lot of play. So for his, I know the bowl, I know he had a bowl game, but essentially his first game as a play caller, it, it, it got complicated by the circumstances of the game. And I get that. But still, Dalen Cambry, Michael Jefferson, Errol Rogers, I'm talking about just the receivers, had two catches. No, no other receiver had more than two catches. I just hope they can get away. I hope they can where you start having you know who your receivers are. And, again, it's one game, so we'll see how that plays out. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, Kevin. Hello. Maybe the reason – can you hear me? Yes, sir. Okay, maybe the reason they passed the field goal late in the game was because Coach Dez has some gambling friends that needed to get the spread with 13, 14 points, and they needed to get 17. <laughs> That's my weak attempt at humor. I agree with you. I would have kicked the field goal right before half. Would have made it twenty nine. Oh, got to take. Points. It was also, it was a long two yards, longer than expected. And I know Coach Dad said he needed to coach a better play, especially after the timeout. I wonder you know, when he says that, does he mean he wish he would have kicked it, or he wish he would have just run a different play? Yeah, um, I, I took a yeah. different play, but but yeah, yeah. Well, but anyway, a lot of the criticism I heard for the uh, offensive line in the running game basically comes down to two plays. They didn't pick up fourth and short twice. And right. once right forty and a half, and once in the second half, and in both times they tried to. Chris uh, Smith was the back, was most of the scat back, and you know the layman friends in my group wondered why wasn't uh, Terrence Williams who had. I agree, and, and I got to tell you, I'm a big Chris Smith fan, but he ran. I did not like the way he ran Saturday night. He he was pretty tentative, I thought, and I, Terrence Williams, who I had a lot of doubts coming about coming out of last year, he looked. Good. He looked like the – and Kabodi actually looked pretty good. I, I was pretty pleased with what I saw out of Kabodi and Williams. I agree. I I know Smith's the most – I just thought he ran a little more tentative than I expected him to. Well, well that's a question maybe for Kabodi. In the future, when we get to third down and short yards and fourth down and short yards, why not use a bigger back? And like I said, I'm a layman. He may have a good reason for it. Maybe he's more experienced. But uh, maybe these guys hadn't done it before or whatever. But I, I, the future when it's third is – everybody in my group – Williams had gotten him down to the goal line. Was before the hand play was even said. Why is it in there when it's a, we need a bigger back in there? And they saw what you did. He made with I don't know why. People are bad games, but uh, that's the criticism. It's those two plays. Without those two plays, the criticism of the running game would not have been nearly as severe. I agree. So we'll, we'll see what goes forward on that. Uh, maybe they'll pick up the. And Coach Dez did say we didn't handle the fronts, the eight nine man fronts very well. 
maybe they needed to do more plays like through the pierce there in the end of the game going forward and something coming that up. Let's hope going forward. We'll talk to you later. All right, thanks. No, all of that uh, makes sense. I um, And look, it's not like Chris Smith's not capable of getting two or three yards. I just, I don't know, Terrence, I just was impressed with what he did. Hoodie had 10 carries for 61 yards. I thought he did very well. All right, we'll take a timeout. We'll come back. Again, open phone lines for two hours. It's a Monday. It's football season. 706-0111 if you would like to get in. We'll be back on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You can call in and say Pete Rose deserves to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. You can call and proclaim that the Houston Astros were the only team that stole signs. Just know this. Foot will disagree with you. Call into Footnotes with Kevin Foot at 337-706-0111. Back to more Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes on the Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. I want to remind you about the ultimate tailgate giveaway. If you would like to win $500 to chop specialty meats, a new grill with accessories, a cooler, set of chairs, $500 Visa gift card, and tickets to Cajun and LSU games and more, you need to join the Game Rewards Club if you do by going to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. You might win the ultimate tailgate giveaway powered by St. Landry Lumber, Austin Outdoors, and the game. Again, the game hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111. Um, to follow up on the point I was talking about earlier, and again, there's nothing wrong with having a running quarterback. I mean, those of us my age or older remember the Brian Mitchell days where you had a quarterback that just ran and he threw and ran. But, I mean, you know, there were plenty of games where Brian Mitchell was the leading rusher for the Cajuns. There were plenty of games where Coach Dez was the leading rusher for the Cajuns when he played 15, 16 years ago. But um, last night for LSU, Jane Daniels rushed for 114 yards. You know, from a pure fantasy standpoint, if you had Jaden Daniels, you weren't that displeased. He had two touchdown passes, threw for a little over 200 yards, ran for 114. The second leading rusher for LSU was Noah Kane. He had 23 yards rushing, which is bad, but he only had seven carries. Now, 3.3 a carry is not good, but it's not as bad as, I mean, but, but that's it. Goodwin had five carries for 14 yards. Um, it was, it, you know, it didn't look like much of a running game other than the quarterback. Now, it, it constantly amazes me how an opposing defense can let a quarterback beat you with his legs when, especially in the first half, there was nothing happening in the passing game. And there were no running backs, but you know that's part of you got to give you got to give him credit. So, um, 
I, I think that they still got a lot of work to do with the passing game, but they also have plenty of work to do in the running game as well. And again, when you watch that game, very similar to watching the Cajun game, I try in my mind, I said, okay, I'm seeing what I'm seeing. How is this going to transfer or parlay into when they're playing, you know, Mississippi State in a couple weeks or Ole Miss or, you know, all the other SEC games that they have? Same thing with the Cages. How is this going to play? Well, But we, we also have to remember they're going to have different game plans for those teams. Uh, the game plan isn't always the same. I, one of the things that we're going to hear over and over and over and over and over again this week that I buy a little bit, but I don't buy it as much as it's said, that the biggest improvement you make is from week one to week two. We've already heard it. I don't know that I buy that. I mean, there's plenty of teams, like we talk about it in the NFL all the time. And the NFL people say it too, but I don't buy it, really. I mean, I, I'm not saying it's impossible for some teams, but like we talk about it all the time, the first three, sometimes four games of the NFL season is just a, they're preseason games that count. And essentially that's what these first couple college games are. They didn't even have preseason games in college football. So essentially these are preseason games that count. Um. So I don't know that I don't really buy this theory, this long. It's been going on, you know, ever since I've been around. Your biggest improvement is from game one to game two. Hmm. Look at this Cajun season last year. They went to Texas. They did not play well. They came home for Nichols. They did not play well. Then the then they played a Thursday game against Ohio, and they played much better. At least now their opponent wasn't as good. But the execution looked better. So was their biggest improvement from one to two? I I just don't buy that whole your biggest improvement is from. So we're gonna hear that over and over again. I I think I think it's just something that people say. I get the theory behind it, but I don't know realistically if that's real. Now the the theory behind it is you've been practicing against yourself all through camp, and this is the first time that you played against someone else. So you get all these things that are exposed, mistakes that are shortcomings that are exposed, and you can work on them. So it might be the most beneficial tape that the coaching staff get. And to, for some of that, it's kind of who – you're playing like if you're Florida State and you're playing Duquesne in the first game what did you get out of that I have no idea what you got other than maybe a little confidence but from a film analysis standpoint I don't think you get a whole lot another thing else that another thing that I say a lot and I've been saying for a long time is we field way too many punts in this country and I will say it again we field or try to field way too many punts in this country. I saw a high school game over the weekend where a guy, a kid runs onto the field relatively late because they made a, a substitution. And it's a low-line drive kick, and he goes up trying to catch it, and he touches it, and the other team gets, the, you know, it's like 
Why is it so important to field this punt? I understand the ball's going to bounce and you're going to get some bad field position, but so often you you just want the football. I, I just decide the risk of trying to field the punt when you're off balance or it's raining or the ball's ricocheting off the clouds and it's not going to go anywhere. Or you're only going to lose five to six yards. It's not worth the risk of fumbling the punt. Now, again, there are plenty. There are people out there that will tell you, I say that you should never return a punt. I, I, that is not. I never said that one time, that you should never return a punt. What I said was that we return way too many punts. Way too often, we return a punt just because that's what – We've always done it. That's what you got to do. But sometimes you need ask yourself. This is what, an, I, in my opinion, this is just my opinion. This is what coaches don't do enough. Right now, in the situation that I'm in, is it more important for me to have the football or is it more important that I have the football at the 35 as opposed to the 22? And I'm just throwing out numbers. In other words, is, is the, the risk, and again, sometimes when, they, when the ball hits, it goes back towards the punter. Everyone acts like every time the ball hits, it rolls for 20 yards. No, that's not the case, especially a lot in a lot of these high school fields. Where the ball, now if you're on turf, that's a little different, but you're playing on a grass high school field that's mushy because it's been raining. The ball ain't going very far. Plus, a lot of these high school punters don't kick hard enough to, for the ball to go very far. I, we just, sometimes you just, you just have to think. <clears throat> I still maintain that coaches just don't watch film anymore. They watch cut-ups, but they don't watch games. And uh, game management, uh, it just it drives me bonkers. I saw another high school game over the weekend. A team had, was fourth and 34. They roughed the punter at, on fourth and 34. Why are you even thinking about the punter? Why are you even rushing Sometimes it's just more important to have the ball than to worry about field position. I don't get it. The other thing that I don't get, and I think it's a macho thing. I get it. I don't agree with it. But it's like when you're in a situation, there's so many times like, why hand off? Just go on a knee and kick the field goal. Like, that's what Florida State should have done last night. I mean, if you if you want to try to score a touchdown, well, then snap it to the quarterback and have him lean forward, and he might hit the right hole and just fall down into the end zone. If not, who cares? Kick the field goal. I mean, you're at the one-yard line. That's just game management. Basic game management. Manage the game. I, I, just, you know, I, I just don't think there's enough – game management thought in these things that these coaches do. It's crazy. All right.
take a timeout, come back, finish out the first hour next on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Again, we'll have another hour of open phone lines. If you would like to give us your thoughts on what happened with the Cajuns and their 24-7 victory over Southeastern Saturday night at Cajun Field or LSU last night in their 24 24- the 23 victory. I mean, I'm sorry, lost to Florida State. Remember, the Cajuns play Florida State in November, right before Thanksgiving. And um, as I'm watching that game, the thing that, from a Cajun standpoint, worried me the most is the quarterback from Florida State did, I thought, an excellent job of being pressured and looking down the field and hitting big plays. Not every quarterback can do that. And some quarterbacks, if they get pressured, they can run and make yards. This cat had the ability to run a little bit, but he was more, when he was pressured, he was looking downfield to make big plays. Now, sometimes you can get picked that way. I get that. But you can get a lot of big plays, and boy, that frustrates the defense. When you got a quarterback on the run, you think you got him, and he just flicks the ball and picks up 15 yards anyway. That that was from a if I'm a Cajun fan watching that game, I'm a little worried. Man, this guy's got the ability to make some plays, and he he's really looking downfield. It takes a lot of discipline in the secondary to counteract that, and um, you better get him down. And again, he some of the throws he made, he was being touched and grabbed and pulled, and he was still making some throws down the field. I was just very impressed with his vision under pressure. And a lot of quarterbacks don't have vision under pressure. They have, uh, I'm running. That's what I'm doing. I'm getting out of here. Uh, and I certainly understand the instinct. But no, that was, that was impressive. Their running backs look pretty good. Um, I thought their game management in a lot of areas was terrible. Has there ever been a good kicker that's number 88? Maybe so. I'm not too high on their kicker's number, and, and he didn't get it done. But um, but there was, you know, Florida State tried to botch the game, but in beside, if they take away some of the bad stuff they did, they you saw a lot of potential there. They didn't. They don't. They look like they've definitely improved. Might be a tougher game down the road for the Cajuns than we we're originally thinking. All right, that's it for the first hour. Another hour to follow on the game. At Dickie's Barbecue Pit, we still smoke all our meats on site, just like in 1941. We're cooking beef brisket, pulled pork, St. Louis-style ribs, spicy cheddar sausage, Polish sausage, and more, all served with home-style sides like jalapeno beans and mac and cheese. Our party pack feeds up to a dozen adults with two pounds pulled pork, two pounds brisket, three large sides, and all the fix-ins. We're now offering box lunches, which are great for take-home, team meetings, and corporate gatherings. So come see us in the shopping center at Kali Saloon and Ambassador Caffrey or our new location in Karen Crow next to Super One Foods. 
Don't miss our two-for-one deal on AcadianaDeals.com. Get a $40 gift card for only $20 from Dickie's Barbecue Pit this Friday at 10 a.m. Go to AcadianaDeals.com and get $40 worth of mouth-watering, legit Texas barbecue from Dickie's Barbecue Pit this Friday. They won't last long. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. The game hotline. 706-0111, 706-0111, 706-0111, 706-0111, as expected. Most of the first hour was about Cajun's football win, LSU's football loss. If you had any thoughts on any of those teams or Florida State or anything else, certainly feel free to give us a call at 706-0111. We did mention a little Major League Baseball. Uh, we are the Astros station. Astros are playing tonight at 610 after beating the little MVPs two out of three, I was a little worried because the little MVPs had been had pitched well, and they pitched well uh, in several of the games. The Astros were just a hair away from sweeping that series. They lost, what was it, two to one in twelve innings, thirteen innings, whatever it was. I it was aggravating Saturday night, but you know you got you're going to lose games here and there. The bottom line is they they went on a five game road trip and they went four and one. You take that and you move on. Um, they um, had an emphatic victory. And I've, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Man, Jose Altuve is starting to impress me. And I, that might sound funny. Like, he's hitting 292. Now, I know we don't care about batting average anymore. Or a lot of people don't care about batting average. But in no way did I think, I mean, I don't know that he can stay this hot. But it's not out of the rim. That cat could hit 300. And I'm bringing it up because he's starting to get more hits to the right of second base. He got another one yesterday. Like, usually when a hitter plays for 10 years or so, they kind of, and then they start to show signs of declining where, like, all you can do is pull the ball because you got to. He's starting to go back to more. I'm seeing more signs of the hitter that we used to have in a, in Altuve, where he hit all over the field. And uh, man, he's hitting 292. If he get, if I don't know if he can maintain it, but if he has a hot September, he could hit 300. I did not expect that from him this year. So he's um he he still drives me crazy sometimes because he's too daring on the base pass and does crazy stuff. At times, but man, I, I I've been impressed with what what he's done. Uh, by the way, a couple series, the Mets are showing signs of some fading of late. The Mets already have a game, by the way, postponed today with the Pirates, and they lost. They had trouble with the Nationals, and the Braves just keep winning and winning and winning. Trying to see here, who do the Braves play? Um. I don't know why I'm not seeing it. The Braves. Uh, oh, they go to the Flake Coast. They play the A's. They must not play today, the Braves. I don't see them here on the Monday schedule. 
They go play the A's, who have an awful record, but ask the Yankees if that's an automatic W. Ask the Astros if that's an automatic W. Um, but again, the uh, Atlanta, um, they're only one back. They're only one back. Um, DeGrom pitches tomorrow against the Pirates. We'll see if the Mets can get um, a sweep there. The, the Red Sox are really getting on my nerves this year because they beat the Astros four out of six, and they just swept the Rangers. The Rangers have now lost eight straight games. I hate playing teams on long losing streaks. Do not like it at all. Astros open a three-game series tonight against the Rangers at 6-10. Hunter Brown, as we said. Hunter Brown is making his Major League debut. Hot shot Astro prospect against Martin Perez, who owned the Astros until about two starts ago. The Astros have now lit him up twice, so I don't know what to think. Like, he had owned the Astros in his career. And then two starts ago, they lit him up, and they lit him up again in his last start. So the Astros have obviously made some sort of adjustment against Martin Perez. So I don't know what to think of that game. But uh, I don't. I do not like facing a team on an eight-game losing streak at all. Now it's. I guess it's a little better late in the season than earlier in the season. Maybe they're tanking it. But uh, I think they got too many young players to tank it. So I. I don't. I don't like this situation. I don't like playing a team on an eight-game losing streak. But we'll see what happens tonight in that game. Again, the game hotline is seven zero six zero one one one. 706-0111. And speaking of the Red Sox, the Rays open a series today against the Red Sox. Michael Walker against Louis Patino and, and Michael Walker, I mentioned a few weeks ago, is one of the, is is a rare bird. He's one of the few guys that the Rays pick up in a re in a rebuilding kind of, you know, try to build his career back up situation. And he was bad. Then he goes to another team and does good. That doesn't normally happen to the Rays. So they probably got a little bitter towards Michael Walker, who did not pitch well for them, ex-Cardinal. So we'll see uh, what what happens in that game today. That's a 3-10 uh, first pitch. Hannes Mariners played a White Sox, who were hot. So that that's a nice series. Man, we got some nine. I know it's football season. We got some nice Major League Baseball series that start today for sure. Some, some really um, promising ones. So we'll keep a half an eye on that. But it is football season, and it is game week. Again, the game hotline is 706-0111, 706-0111. If you would like to uh, have any comments on Cajuns or Tigers, it is game week for the Saints, and I, I just, I just, I just can't talk anymore. It's like, I guess on one hand, I've, and I've always said I, I'm always open for talking Saints or Astros, and of, and of course right now Cajuns and Tigers. But I, I just it's like I'm talked out on the Saints. I'm I'm so last week was so mind numbing. All the bad news from last week was so mind numbing because it was, you know, I had I kind of tried to convince myself that it wasn't after the last two years of just nothing but bad news that they were going to finally get good news, that the ball was going to bounce their way this year. And maybe when by the time we get to midseason, 
some of this quote-unquote bad news will say, you know what, it might have been a blessing in disguise. That's possible. Again, when you're a glass-half-full fan like me, you think about that kind of stuff. And so it has crossed my mind that, you know what, maybe what looked like a negative last last week is going to be a positive down the road somehow. Um, it's certainly possible. I get it. But it's... Um, it was just it was just jarring. It was just jarring last week. And so hopefully there's no more bad news this week. Hopefully the guys like Werner and Plastic Man can remain uh, on a positive track towards getting healthy like they claim they are on. Well, you know, we'll see. Hopefully they play. And hopefully they're ready. And, again, I'll say it. I don't know. I've probably said it 50 times on the air over the last three months. the My number one concern, other than injuries, injuries is always the number one concern, but other than injuries, my number one concern is that the safeties are on the same page. And so what position, to, you know, I know everybody calls Chauncey Garner Johnson a slot corner, but I don't, I don't think that's what he is even though sometimes that's what he is. Um, the position that, or, you know, at least the general position area that was in question last week that got Saints fans upset is the safety position or the quasi-safety hybrid, whatever you think Chauncey Garner Johnson played. So very concerning to me. Very concerning to me. No question. All right. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Hello, Kevin. Hello. Kevin, didn't uh, – I wanted to ask you about something, but uh, didn't uh, Mike Trout yesterday hit like a home run when the game was like 7 to nothing or something? It was 7 to nothing in the ninth, yes. Yeah, because it made me think, like, uh, and then I don't know if you saw what happened with the Cardinals game, <laughs> but it was zero to zero, nothing, nothing, in the uh, going in into the bottom of the eighth, and they got a man on with two outs, and the Cubs had a left-handed relief pitcher, and, and they put Pujols in as a pinch hitter. He hit a two-run homer to win the game, and it lasted bad against the Cubs. But it made me think, and I had thought I had seen Trout hit some one like it was seven nothing or something late in the game. You said it was the ninth. That it seems like that to me, in certain ways, kind of like sums up those two guys' careers, at least the way I've tended to see it. Where it seems like a lot of times Trout hits these home runs in meaningless situations. Well, I mean, the Astros were pitching. Yeah, tended to hit a lot more of his home runs when the game was more on the line. And you know, the Astros are were pitching their bottom of the their the 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 bottom guy in their bullpen. Plus, when you're up seven nothing late, you just want to throw strikes and and you know you don't want to walk people. So you know, I mean, he hit a home run, but it was a solo shot. I I didn't mind that. Right. Right. But I'm just saying, you know what I mean? Like, if you looked at somebody's career, I'd like to – I don't know how easy that would be to find, but see, like, 
how many of their home runs were in games that we either tied or within a run or two where you felt like the home run maybe was a little more meaningful. You know, because like you say, a lot of times in a blowout kind of game, the pitchers just they just want to get it, get it done, and they just you know throwing it, you know, just trying to make you hit the ball. They're not. It's just not the same quite level of competition. Right. So, because to me that that, that have you noticed that with Trout that it seems like he's hit a lot of home runs and more. Yeah, games? but again, I, I, all I my I, all I really pay attention to is when he's against the Astros, and he rarely. The Astros get him out most, you know, they don't have much trouble with him. Yeah, he's never giving you too much no. misery. So Trust me, I remember misery. And so, you know, the Scott Posednicks and the Chris Youngs of the world, I still got nightmares. The Orlando Merced, those guys, I don't forget them, all the misery certain hitters give me. And, uh, you know, Elvis Andrus. And I've just never had that about Mike Trout. Like, my daughter Riley's a big Astro fan. She thinks Mike Trout is terrible. She's like, why would anyone want to trade for this guy? All We, we just get him out all the time. So all she knows is the, she thinks Mike Trout's terrible. Now, obviously, his sto- I said, Riley, there are people in baseball that think he's the best player in the game. She said, there's no way. I said, yeah. She says, well, he, we, we get him out all the time. How good can yeah. he be? <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, I, I'm not naive. I mean, I know there is a lot of situations where Pujols has hit a home run in a, you know, in a meaningless situation. I mean, when you hit a lot, and every of home time runs, he does it, he stands like there that. and hot dogs it. Every home run he hits, he stands there and hot dogs it. He's the most and underrated hot dog of ever. His home runs, it just seems like he's tended to be more like where they mean more. No, I think he's a, you know, more of a clutch hitter. I, I can buy that. Well, that was six ninety five to to win the game last night or yesterday evening, whatever that was, afternoon, late afternoon. But uh, so we'll have to keep up, see if he can get there. Well, you can do that. I don't care. I hope he finishes with six ninety nine and never plays again. I know. I told that to somebody. They said, yeah. "Man, that guy's mean." <laughs> oh, that guy has tortured me more in my career than any team, any player in baseball, probably. So, no, I, like, is like I was saying earlier, I remember. But it, it's nice, kind of. Astros kind of got the last ha- laugh the last decade. So, all but, right. Uh, thank, th- thanks for the call and listen, because right. I'm about to give what might be considered some good news. All right. All right, here's a tweet from Ian Rappaport. And again, we were talking about, kind of talking about, when you look at the numbers, like, you never know when someone gets surgery, like, how long are they going to be out? Because we were speculating with the injury to Trevor Pinning, the, 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 the Saints first-round draft pick, or second first-round draft pick, Let's say he has surgery and he's out 12 weeks. Well, it was two weeks before he even played a game. Because, you know, in football, we ne- they never play. So, 10 weeks into the season, you know, you could still play seven games. I'm just throwing num- generally about. So, this Ian Rappaport tweet says, the, uh, the Saints received unexpectedly good news following the foot surgery for first-round offensive tackle Trevor Pinning. Rather than miss all of 2022, Pinning has a chance to be ready by early November, sources say. 
at the least, he'll be able to practice. At the most, could be a key down the stretch. So, um, how much would you trust a rookie coming off a of foot surgery if the Saints are in the position that you hope they're in come November? I don't know. That, you know, that still you would think he could if he'd be healthy, you know, 10 weeks from now. You would think that you could at least maybe get some good backup snaps from him when, if needed. Who knows what the injury situation is going to be between now and then. But, but we, I, you know, we had that thought that depending on how long the recovery was, you know, we're talking about an 18-week season. So you could miss 10 weeks and still get a decent amount of the season in. So we'll see how that plays out. So anything that remotely is considered good news having to do with the Saints, I'm all for it. I'm just OD'd on the bad news. Not, not, not emotionally ready for the bad news. Uh, anything that remotely considered good news, I've, I'll vote for. So we'll see. And again, because he, the, the last part of that tweet is, Suggests that, you know, maybe he'll only get to do his practice, but at least that's something. At least that's not a completely lost rookie year. Because if, you, if you're thinking by next year, you were thinking. My, my thought all, all, all along since they drafted him was that Hurst was going to start. Of course, we don't know about health situations. But that Hurst was going to start maybe by the back half of the season. Pinning could start if there were injuries or he really progressed. But I but I don't but I mean I think everybody thought that the plan is by his second year he'd be a starter. And and hopefully he can get enough playing time or at least practice time to where by the by by next year at this time he will be the question unquestioned starter. So that you know. Whatever he needs to learn in pass blocking, he needs to learn in pass blocking this year. So he can be ready next year. All right, let's take a timeout. We'll come back and do one more segment. Continue to, it's football season. It's Monday. It's two hours of open phone line. So give us a call at 706-0111, 706-0111. We'll be back on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. Oh, pleasure cruise. Pleasure cruise. Now, a sports career where things seemingly came easy as the player was surrounded by the best players, the best coaches, and caught all the breaks. Also known as Tom Brady's career. Now, back to the man with his very own language, Kevin Foote and Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game, Southwest Louisiana sports station, your home for the LSU Tigers. And the Houston Astros, again, Astros play the Rangers tonight at home. Minute Maid Park, 6-10 first pitch, an hour earlier than normal on this holiday, Labor Day. Also want to remind you, uh, hopefully you experienced it the first weekend. Delta Media is your home for thrilling high school football. 
including St. Thomas More right here on the game, 103.7. St. Thomas More, I was at that game, handled the Como Spartans. They will be back at home again this week on Friday against Alexandria. Speaking of Alexandria, Karen Crow went to Alexandria on Friday and won the game. So congratulations to the Golden Bears. You can hear Karen Crow um, this week. Karen Crow will be um, in action again, and you can hear them on Z1059. And so uh, Karen Crow will be at Barb. So they open up on the road. A lot of road games early. And you can again, you can hear the crow on Z1059. Uh, Acadiana High, you can hear on MeTV 977 FM at 1330 AM. And as Bitter mentioned the first hour, it did not go well for the Reckon Rams in their first game against Lafayette Christian. And they will try to make some more progress. I'm sure it's going to be not a fun week of practice. Uh, for for a Kate, at Acadiana High, they will um, be at the play their first home game against Sulphur, and again, you can hear those that the Acadiana Rams all season long on MeTV FM ninety seven seven thirteen thirty AM Southside coming off a close loss to um, Notre Dame will play again on Thursday for the second straight week and against Cecilia. And Cecilia won a thrilling 35-33 game over St. Martin Parish rival St. Martinville on Friday. Uh, I would think probably the best game of 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 all of the Cadiana area games in in week one. Uh, that was a thriller. So you could that should be a really nice contest. Uh, and you can hear that Cecilia Southside game again on Thursday on Mustang 107. Won the Vermilion Parish. No, I'm sorry on. Um, yeah, 107.1. For me and Parrish, game of the week will be on 106.3 Radio Lafayette, the St. Landry Parish game of the week, remember, on News Talk 98.5. And Barb, you can hear on the game 104.1 FM. All right. Again, the game hotline is 706 706-0111. 706-0111. Uh, one of the things that I'll, I, I've seen some conversation on having to do with the Cajun game from Saturday, and again, the Cajuns, if you did not hear, beat Southeastern 24-7. to You know, there were some people disappointed in that game. But the spread, last I heard anyway, was about 14. So the Cajuns covered. It wasn't like they played that poorly. I My, my pregame prediction was that they would win by 20. Now, I had a few more points. I said 37-17, but I said they would win by 20, and they won by 17, and had Coach Dez elected to kick the field goal at the end of the half and not go for it, they would have more than likely won by 20. So it's not like it was, you know, this, oh, man, it was awful. You know, I think maybe some of the negativity is a little bit premature, but one of the issues... One of the issues that people are discussing is this idea of playing two quarterbacks. And I, I've, I saw that someone called it a two-quarterback system. It is not a two-quarterback system. Now, not the traditional two-quarterback system anyway. It's a structured two-quarterback system. Again, very, very similar 
to what they did in Coach Napier's first year with Andre Nunez and Levi Lewis. Um, I don't really have a serious problem with it. I'm not a two-quarterback guy, but again, I don't think this is a two-quarterback system. Now, it was a little bit tricky, as I mentioned in the first hour, because there was a lot of long drives. There was a punt return for a touchdown by Guerra, and so they didn't really have that many snaps in the first quarter. Oh, no, first half, half plus a couple drives. They, they And so I, I didn't see where it messed the offense up. I know some people are very critical of it. Um, in the first drive that Ben Waldridge came in on, it was um, – 11 plays, 75 yards. It was the possession right before the half where they got they drove and turned it over on downs at about the, what, seven-yard line. And so it wasn't like it was a bad possession. They just didn't get it done in a short yardage situation, and they probably should have kicked a field goal. You know, and again, even if you don't agree they should have kicked a field goal, which is a, you know, somewhere around a 50-50 decision, I'm more conservative. I say take the points in a relatively low-scoring game and you're already up 17 to nothing. Take your points and and keep things positive and move forward. Why give the other team something to to hang their hat on? I you know, I guess I'm just more conservative, but still. It was an 11-play, 75-yard drive. I thought Woodridge did some good things. He had one play where it looked like he was gonna. He was under pressure. He threw the ball out in the flat to the to the um, uh, running back, and he got a first down on third down. So I, I thought he had some good plays. They ran the ball well. That was the possession that Terrence Williams had thirty car- three carries for thirty yards. And then he didn't kind of see the field very much after that. Um, now the second drive that they put Ben in, uh, he got one first down, and then they punted. But you know. It, wasn't like they didn't punt when Chandler was in. So I understand that some people are dead against it. Uh, I think it fits in with the philosophy of this coaching staff, which is if you do what you're supposed to do and you perform and you show you can perform and you, you know, dot all your I's and cross all your T's, then you're going to play because we like guys who play. We like depth. It was something that Coach Napier was really high on, and that that's one thing as you change coaching staffs that I think they still believe in. In other words, at every other position, other than maybe kicker, we'll see. Kicker and quarterback are the two kind of tricky ones. Every other position, if you're a backup and you do your job and you show that you're capable of doing it and you do everything you're supposed to do, you get playing time because we want to establish depth. We want as many guys getting off the bus, and I'm paraphrasing what they would say, we want as many guys getting off the bus that believes they're going to have some contribution in this game. Keeps every, it keeps more players involved and into it and ready and, 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 and happy, especially in this era. It's a it's a not a bad philosophy to have in this, you know, portal era, that transfer portal era that we're in. And in terms of establishing depth, it's good. It's hard to say that it didn't work with Nunez and Levi Lewis, 
Levi Lewis got some valuable experience, even though he wasn't a starting quarterback, and he kind of became a record-setting quarterback after that. Well, you say, well, they should have just started Levi. Well, maybe he wasn't. And again, I'm not saying there's not another argument. I I just think that it's not. I didn't think it, it was a little clunky because of the play calls and the punt return and the long drives, but I don't think it had a drastic impact negatively on the game. I mean, they should have scored. Um, they should have scored on Ben's first half possession and on his second half possession. Really, no, no, no matter who was the quarterback, nothing much was happening offensively, going very well in the second half. So I don't know that it made a, a ginormous difference there. So I, again, I, I think it's something that we're that Cajun fans are going to be discussing a lot, especially if it doesn't work. Um. I don't know. I'm not convinced yet that they're going to do this in every game, no matter what the rest of the way, kind of like happened in in Coach Napier's first year. But we'll see. Again, I, I didn't think Ben played poorly at all. I think he did fine. And so we'll see how that how that plays out. All righty. Well, we'll um, – Again, the game hotline is 706-0111. I think it's going to be important to get the running game going. And again, I I also think it's going to be important that you identify who your top one or two receivers are and that they get more targets. I know that you can't get them more targets in every game. That, That, you know, sports just kind of doesn't work that way. But I, I do think that they need to get more targets. And um, there were. Errol Rodgers got seven targets, two catches for 19 yards. Michael Jefferson got five targets, two catches for 21 yards. And um, uh, Dalen Cambry got two targets. That, that's it. No one else. They're just, I don't know. I think that I would I think Michael Jefferson's their best receiver and I think he he needs to get uh, I'd like to see him get more than two catches. And again, it's one game. I'm I'm telling y'all that it's reminding y'all that it's just one game because I'm telling myself that. I don't I, I'm fighting just like y'all are for making too many rationalizations from one game. And it and not only is it one game, it's the first game. And it's the first game with, you know, not new coaches, but coaches in different roles and different quarterbacks. And, you know, there's a lot there. Even though not a, not it wasn't a major overhaul like LSU had, there still were changes. It was still different. And with all of that difference, they basically won like the Cajuns have won a lot of games over the last three years. They played, they, you know, they didn't turn over the football, which is a huge thing in this sport. They played good defense. I, 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 I'm a little more worried about the run defense, I got to tell you, than I was last year. I'm, I'm a little more worried about it. But, again, it's just one game, so I don't want to overreact. Um, but the, the defense held them down, didn't give up many points. Special teams had a couple big plays, and the offense had some good sports and some worrisome parts, but in the end, you get a W. 
it might have felt like a one-score game a lot of the second half, but it ended up winning by 17 and covering the spread. So let's, um, you know, the people who are upset, we need to kind of calm down just a little bit for now. Now, you might end up being proven correctly, but I wouldn't panic just yet is my point. All righty. Let's take a timeout. Come back. More open phone lines on the other side on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. The cheaters. Cheaters. The famed hated rival that beat the New Orleans Saints and others so many times in the 80s and 90s by cheating. Also known as the San Francisco 49ers. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes. Welcome back to the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. want to encourage you, if you have not joined the game clubhouse, by going to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com today. What are you waiting for? You could win a $150 gift certificate for Mr. Lesser Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou, a $50 gift certificate to Acadiana Bar and Grill, or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. All you have to do is join the game clubhouse by going to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com today. It's free. It's simple. So sign up today. All right, let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, Kevin, how you doing? Pretty good, sir. How are you? Oh, I'm okay. Uh, back to the UL game, what kind of grade do you give the coaching staff? Uh, I thought that the pregame preparation was very good. I mean, the first three drives, they drove right down the field, got in the red zone all three times, a touchdown, a field goal, and could have been a field goal, but they went for it and missed it. So I think the pregame preparation and game planning was very good. Defensively, they did a um, – I think they had a basic game plan. It wasn't very aggressive because I don't think they felt like the quarterback from Southeastern could hurt them with their with their arms. So they kind of just kind of played back and um, and they well, had yeah, a, he could scramble. He was noted to he right. busted a few plays. So they didn't want to they didn't want to be too aggressive with trying to get in the backfield and give him lanes to hurt him with you know with some big runs. Right. And so I think they did a pretty good job of that. The, the the one thing that wasn't good was in the second half when Southeastern started doing a little more blitzing or pressures, as they call them, uh, they didn't adjust very well. So Southeastern made some adjustments, threw in some curveballs in the second half, and it took them a little longer to adjust to those curveballs. So in terms of second half preparation, probably not as good as the pregame preparation, right. and that's something I, they'll I have to work on. The halftime uh, adjustments at Southeastern did a better job than UL did. Right. And um, normally the, it went the other way in recent years. Like the Cajuns normally oh, played better right. in the second half than the first half. So we'll see. It's just one game. But, yeah, I, I think, I, again, I think the pregame, I think they outcoached Southeastern uh, in the pregame game planning. And you, you probably have to give Southeastern a little bit of, a, of an edge after halftime. Yes, sir. Right. Now, there was two plays. I can't remember the first one in the first half, but the second one was when the uh, – uh, what's his name, quarterback, 
the intentional grounding play. Now, that's the first time I've ever seen that play where there was an offside and intentional grounding on yeah, the same play. I want to ask Coach Dez in the press conference that's going to be coming up in about an hour or so if that was legit. On I, I don't know that that was legit. That seems like a play you've seen in, in the pros where quarterback just does that, you know? So in other the words, they're trying to the end the play, yeah. I, I don't know. If it was legit, then they're going to have to – uh, get a different, like, play a different mindset or a different strategy for what what Chandler's supposed to do in that situation. But, but I, I well, yeah. Anytime that happens, you're supposed to have that wide receiver is supposed to just take off, and you that's a free play, right? So you it's a free get a play, touchdown right. off of it, you know. Right. And there, there was no wide receiver out there. I don't. You know, Everyone just kind of stopped. So. Everyone just kind of stopped. And, and, right. and yeah, I, I think. I, I'm wondering if that was just a bad job by the officials, though. We, we well, need to get, we need to I uncover that. But then, if it's not, then that's on the coaches. The coaches yeah. need to correct that. Yes, uh, sir. What they do on that kind of play, they ought to have a play already designed. Like if they draw somebody offside, this is what we're going to do. And you know, he could be the tight end going up the middle and just hitting him or something instead of just throwing the ball away. But anyway, that was one thing I was looking at. But uh, like you said earlier, I was really impressed with the uh, what's his name, Woldridge. They got in. I mean, yes. he they put him in, and he was inside the twenty, I think, when the, when he got the ball, and uh, he drove it down the field. You know, so uh, I was impressed with his play too. All righty, sir. Was I appreciate you calling? Thank you very much. Okay, you're welcome. Take care. No, I, I think that's all. That all his comments were fair. I um. There were two throws that Chandler made that he probably wishes, and I asked him after the game just to see what he would say, and and he said, you know, the the most disappointing throw I think was the play that Chandler brought up, where he was throwing kind of deep down the right sideline to Jefferson, and Jefferson had a step on the cornerback, and he just kind of threw it way too far to the sideline, and and it was, it's the kind of play that you know. He need you know from advertising he's got to be able to make more of those kind of throws and so we didn't see as many of the deep sideline stuff that we talked about either. Uh, again, it was it was the first game, but I, I don't want to we don't want to judge overjudge, make too many rash generalizations. Don't want to assess too much in the first game, but but I think. You know, the offensive line obviously has to get a little better. I don't think it's in as much long-term trouble as it seems like LSU's offensive line is in. But certainly got to improve. And, and, and um, I think that the passing game will just – it's kind of a work in pro- – we'll see if it's different. I, I kind of hope that it is. I get the balance thing. I get the depth thing, and there's some time, and there are times when those areas, though, that's very, that's a very good thing to do. But I, I'm more of a, I like knowing who my number one target is, and who my number two target is, and who my number three target is. And again, when you have injuries, especially, it's great having all that depth. But um, I don't know. I, I just like knowing who your best receivers are. And I guess that's more of an NFL mentality. Maybe I just have too much of an NFL mentality there. But but I think there are plenty of colleges 
program offenses around the country as well, where you 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 definitely know your number one, number two, and number three targets are. Now, again, I've been I like I'm not the only one have been wanting tight ends, tight ends, tight ends. So I, I think it was tremendous seeing uh, the tight ends. I I think that. Uh, they, in my opinion, they need to make Neil Johnson a star this year. Neil got two targets, caught both of them. One of them was a really tough catch. I don't think too personally. I want to see. I want to. I want to. I want to see Neil Johnson. I think by the end of the season, it, if everybody's healthy and all things are even, again, just just me, Neil Johnson should have the second or third most targets on this team. I, I just, I just think he's good. And I think they need to utilize him. And we'll see. Again, it's just one game. It's just one game. Um, but, no, I, I'm hoping that Jefferson and, and, and Johnson and, you know, did Peter LeBlanc get a single target? I don't know. Now, he, he was banged up, but he played and he started. I, I don't think he got a single target. I don't see his name on here. So, you know. I'm sure they'll look. I'm sure they looked at all that. They watched the film. I'm sure they'll try to make some more of those adjustments. It it doesn't just happen to Kayshawn Butte and LSU. It happens to other teams as well. Where man, that guy started didn't hardly get any targets. I think Butte got more targets than anybody did on. The <laughs> Let's see this. I know how good he was last year. But let me let me make sure of that. No, I don't think he did. He got six targets. So he led LSU in targets. Him and Mason Taylor both got six. The only player on the Cajuns team that got more targets than Kayshawn Butte got last night was uh Errol Rogers. He got seven. Now Arrow, the you know, they throw more of the underneath check down stuff to him. That had something to do with it, maybe. But um yeah, by the end of the game, Kayshawn had six targets and he caught two passes for 20 yards and Taylor was the only other player that got as many six target as six targets for LSU and the cages only had one player in Aaron Rodgers who had seven everybody else had five or fewer so eh, sometimes we can overreact to some of those statistics especially for just one game all right that'll do it for this segment we'll finish out today's Labor Day edition of footnotes Next on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Just got a few minutes left in today's show. Um... A lot of good things with the Astros. Again, the Astros play tonight 6-10 against the Rangers. As I said earlier, I am not a big fan ever of playing some team that's lost eight straight games. So I'm a little that's a little tricky. The Red Sox have been trying to sabotage me all season long and they went and swept the Rangers over the weekend. Not a good thing for the Astros, but hopefully they're reeling enough to where the Astros can um can can overcome them. The one thing that Still is a major concern for the Astros. And by the way, if you didn't hear over the weekend, Verlander had some workouts where 
they feel like he's going to be very close, and all the reports are that he's going to be coming back sooner than later. So the idea that he might not pitch again in the regular season, doesn't sound like that's the plan. Sounds like he's recovered pretty quickly. I would be all for letting him stay out one more, maybe turn whatever they think, like he's ready medically, like miss one more start. I mean, they need to be extra careful here is what I'm saying. But so that part was good. Winning, on a ro- going to 4-1 and one on the road trip was good. Beating the little MVPs in the series was good. What wasn't good was I don't know how much progress El Pedro Grande made. He still looks terrible. All he does is hit ground balls. He doesn't ever drive a ball. There's obviously something wrong. I don't know if it's mentally or he had problems with both hands slash wrist and in the last two months or six weeks, whatever that time frame is, and and he just doesn't even look like the same. He's swinging at bad pitches in the dirt. He didn't – I mean, everybody swings at bad pitches sometime, but the first half of the season, he wasn't doing it that often. Now he does it all the time. And when he does make contact, all he does is hit ground balls to second. That's all he does. Strike out on bad pitches and hit ground balls to second. There's still time to come out of this, but it is very concerning. I mean, it's – we need another Josh Fields Appreciation Day soon. If not, it could be bad news for the playoffs because he just isn't a – he looks terrible. And, again, the first, I don't know, 60% of the season, whatever it was, he looked unbelievable. So, very concerning. While the team is winning and everything is looking great, um, they've got, a you know, an outstanding chance to, to, to be – the number one seed and going into the playoffs in the American League. But, man, El Perro, he is just fighting it. Hopefully he can find it over the next three weeks or so. It would be tremendous. All righty. So that'll do it for this Monday edition of Footnotes. And we'll be talking more football and baseball, certainly, the rest of the week as it is finally game week for the for the Saints. Thank you for all the phone calls. Y'all have a nice day.